I am delighted to be joined today by Hannah Bardell, a Scottish politician who served as Member of Parliament for Livingston since 2015. She's a member of the Scottish National Party and was a spokesperson for digital, culture, media and sports. In addition to all of this, Hannah is one of at least 45 out LGBT plus MPs in the House of Commons, identifying on Instagram as a lesbian feminist. And on that note, let me say hello to Hannah and welcome to Daring to be Different. Hi, how you doing? Lovely to be with you. Excellent. Really, really great to have you here. Okay, I want to kick this off with a few questions and I thought you could answer true, false, and then maybe elaborate a little bit. Is that okay? Yep. Okay, so true or false? You were told off by the speaker, John Burko, for playing football in the historic debating chamber in the House of Commons. True. <laughs> How were you playing football in there? <laughs> it's, it's a good story, yes. Yeah. So we were... We had set up the women's parliamentary football team cross party and we were due to be playing our first match but because of all the nonsense with brexit it had to be postponed but we were all ready with our kit and everything so we were just to wear our kit anyway for the votes and asked the speaker if we could get a picture i believe and we were getting a picture with a football and i was like oh come on we'll have a wee kick <laughs> so i did some keepy uppies and <laughs> the labor mp filmed it and you know it just seemed too good not to put out and you know it was a bit of fun and a bit of cross-party camaraderie amongst a very febrile and horrible atmosphere at the time in politics in general and yeah it went it went viral and it was it was really interesting because there was a lot of people particularly kind of old men it would appear that were really very angry and oh so disrespectful but actually a lot of commentators were just interested in talking about women's sport as a result of it so you know there was a serious point to be made as well that we we, we, do, we didn't talk enough about that we don't talk enough about that it doesn't get enough coverage but really it was just a bit of fun at a time of you know real hardship and real real nastiness and sometimes I think that's important in politics it, it's possible to be a serious person and do serious things and deal with serious issues, but also, you know, have a bit of fun and be able to laugh together across across the benches. And that's really what that was about. No, absolutely. It sounds like you, it was a unifying gesture in the end. It was, it was very much. Okay, thank you. Next question. True or false? You're a keen surfer. True, although not a very good one. And, and currently, I'm currently on the bench, <laughs> so to speak to the football analogy, because I injured my knee dislocated money actually skiing <laughs> a few months ago so yeah I've been in the wars a little bit but yes I love surfing I took it up oh, about a decade ago when I was living in Aberdeen and um, where there are amazing beaches and have been trying to get better at it ever since <laughs> and it's a lot of work but Scotland's one of the most beautiful countries if not the most beautiful country obviously I'm biased <laughs> in the world but it has also some of the best and hardest to reach surf um, so yes, it's. I've been all over the world surfing. Actually, I've been very lucky in different places. I've gone. I've sought out beaches, but there's no no surf like Scottish surf. Wow. So is that your favourite place to surf in? Yes, I would say so. There's there's a a beautiful beach in the northeast of Scotland on sort of the Murray Aberdeenshire coast called Sandend Beach, and it has some of the best surf um, all year round actually. And it's it's just a really beautiful spot. So I was there camping last summer. Actually, when my fiance and I got engaged, we got engaged last summer, and we were we were there with a bunch of friends and a huge tent, <laughs> and and we did a lot of surfing. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I've 
been this happy ever wow. <laughs> for, or for a very long time and it was yeah and when I we did a photo with all the women in parliament in 2017 that got elected that year because we had finally reached the it was 100 years since when some women had had the right to vote and stand for election but we had reached the grim landmark of in 2015 that there was more there was more men in that one sitting of parliament in 2015 than had ever been women elected so wow. in 2017 we passed that grim milestone and we all had our photos taken by female photographers and Sarah Lee who took my picture who's the guardian photographer also loved surfing she came to Scotland and we went surfing and she brought her she brought this amazing Leica waterproof camera into it so my, my picture that went up in the, the House of Commons along with all the rest of them was me in a wetsuit trying to surf <laughs> <laughs> fantastic I think you're a bit of a rebel Hannah I'm sensing a little bit yeah I think, I think I think so well well-behaved women rarely make history as they say so <laughs> focus certainly making history <laughs> So, okay, another question for you. You love the sound of people chewing their food. A hundred percent false. Probably <laughs> one of my, I don't know if you would call it a phobia, but it's something that it's like chalk on a blackboard for me. Yeah, yeah. it's one of those things that I find deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> and I probably <laughs> chew really loudly as well, but I try not to. But yes, I've been in situations where I've had to get up and leave a table because somebody's chewing so loudly. Wow, that's quite an extreme reaction though. It is quite extreme. Yeah, it is quite extreme. And it's 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 just one of those things. It's a, I have the same reaction to big spiders. <laughs> I just want to not be in that space. <laughs> Fair enough. I can actually agree with that one. So last question for you is you started life in the corporate world in television. Mm -hmm. Yes, true. Okay. I started, I got two jobs when I graduated from university, which was incredibly fortunate. I had done, I'd worked hard uh, doing work experience in my holidays and stuff when I was at um, the University of Stirling. And I got offered a job as a sports editor at um, STV and at the weekends. And I got offered a job at GMTV as it was then. It's now Good Morning Britain in their children's department. So I used to mix the gunge and uh, book the taxis and print the scripts. And <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I did that for six months, Monday to Friday in London and then Sunday in Glasgow. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a challenge, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had some of the best times I met. Lifelong friends in both jobs, actually. Um, but yes, and, and, it, and it probably paved a way for me to end up eventually in politics. Wow, sounds like a good training ground. It was. Gunge and slime and things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I went from their children's programme to their political programme, so, yeah. I would have loved to have seen those two genres merge. It would have been interesting. <laughs> I think I think you could definitely pull that off. Yeah. So, so on, on a bit more of a serious note. So historically, you you know, you came out as LGBT within a political world. I mean, that's problematic, isn't it? I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. What was your experience of that? It was. I suppose there was sort of two sides to it for me. Um, in some ways, I felt that getting elected helped facilitate me coming out because I kind of felt like I had probably known for a long time, but for various reasons, including growing up in the 80s under the shadow of Section 28. Um, so that's the legislation that basically criminalised teachers being able to talk to students about being, you know, being gay or being LGBT. Um, the AIDS epidemic and the way that particularly gay men were treated and characterised and just the way the LGBT community was targeted in, in the 80s by Thatcher particularly and also the way single parents were, were treated so I was from a I am from a single mother family and you know she wanted to lock single mothers up in institutions so I already felt different and weird and 
you know, as I got older and as I got, particularly when I got elected, I, you know, kind of came to that realization as I was getting elected that I was actually a lesbian and had been very unhappy for a long time being straight and had tried very hard at being straight. I'd given it a really, you know, people said to me, you, but you know, I've had lots of boyfriends. I was like, yeah, I've tried really hard to be straight and it's just not working. <laughs> so that's how I know, you know, when people would ask me how I knew, I just, I just knew. And you know, I made a decision. It was such a life-changing thing getting elected and, and coming out. But also there's a lot, there's a lot to us as human beings. Our, our sexuality or our gender identity is important, but it's not necessarily the most important thing. And so I felt, you know, you're when you first get elected, people are, and because it was so historic, there was, you know, 56 SMP MPs, there was a lot of attention around us. And I didn't necessarily want it to be the first thing I said about myself because I was still coming to terms with it. And so I took my time and I waited until the following, I think I, we got elected in the May, I waited until the following February to say anything public. And people knew privately, other MPs from other parties knew and colleagues knew. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like a big deal personally and professionally, you know, and I think a lot has changed even since then. But it was very emotional, a lot of emotional turmoil attached to it. But ultimately when I did it and we took, Chris Bryant had organised for LGBT History Month a picture of all the... We called it Queers and Peers, all the LGBT MPs and, and members of Parliament and members of the House of Lords. And so I did it in a group and there was other there was other MPs and peers, I think, who had talked about their sexuality for the first time as part of that photo as well. So there was a sort of team approach to it and that felt right because a lot of folk had sort of suggested to me, I do an individual interview, sit down and do an interview with a journalist. And that didn't really feel right for me because... I was still newly elected, you know, it was kind of like, nobody knows really who I am, nor did they care necessarily. So I would, I, I, but I did recognise and I do recognise that even though at the time I thought, do, do I still need to say something? Are we still in that place? Or have we passed that, you know, kind of point in time? But I thought, no, I have a position of power and responsibility and significant privilege. I need to use that. I need to use my voice. And, uh, but I, so I was very conscious of that. And that's why I felt I needed to take time to come to terms with it myself before, you know, I hope I use my voice constructively, um, you know, to fight for the LGBT community because we, we still have a long way to go both at home and abroad. No, absolutely right. And I, I think it is, you know, it's fantastic you use your platform and you use it every day. You're very active on social media, but it is exposing, isn't it? When you come out as, as you know, as whatever, there's many things to come out as. It is very exposing, isn't it? Like on a personal level, it, it does yeah, do something to you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget the headline of my local newspaper. Um, it's a local MP comes out as gay. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that is literally, <laughs> that is the story. But yeah. it's something that's, you know, ultimately very personal. And it's about your personal life. And, you know, it's all wrapped up in why is that a story? And it's because we live, we still live in such a, a heteronormative society. But also... You know, people seem endlessly fascinated with each other's, you know, personal and sex lives. And it's like, well, why is that necessarily of interest? But then the other side of that is, well, it's of interest because we still don't have equality in, in, in so many areas. So if you're in a position of power or influence, you, you should be open, I think, or, or do your best to be open. But equally, there's no judgment if you're not, I think, because people sometimes aren't for various reasons but yes it, it did feel very exposing and it felt there was a lot of emotions going on you know yeah. there was just a lot happening <laughs> and that took time to process 
no, absolutely. And, you know, you've continued to talk about your personal experiences. And I think when people do that, it, it does really resonate with people. And you've talked about experiences of se sexual harassment and homophobia. So you've continued to that dialogue. What sort of feedback have you had around those subjects? I mean, broadly supportive. I think it's also how you talk about these things. And I try and, you know, again, those experiences have marked and equally shaped me, but so have lots of other experiences. So I think it's for me about, I guess, when I think about what I wanted to see in politicians when I was younger, was being able to relate to them and yeah. being, you know, like me and from where I was from. And that was part of the reason I stood for election in the end. Um, I'd worked for a politician, so I knew how exposing and how tough it was and how brutal it could be. And that was before really social media and nothing prepares you for that. But I also felt it was really important that we had people, you know, where we could see ourselves reflected back. And that ultimately makes for better, whether that's in a you know, private company or a public organisation or in politics, diversity is really important because, you know, you have different voices and different perspectives. So, I, you know, I suppose to go back to to go back to your point about how that's been, you know, I've been received. So when I broke my non-disclosure agreement that I had signed after being bullied and harassed in energy company yeah. in the northeast I, of Scotland, I it was a nerve-wracking moment and I could have used my parliamentary privilege. So that is, we're allowed as parliamentarians to, to expose issues or talk about issues that might, under normal circumstances, sort of land you in court. But parliamentary privilege is there to expose these things. But I thought, well, you know, most folk don't have parliamentary privilege, so... I did it on question time instead. And then I did it <laughs> with Kathy Newman's Channel 4 because I knew full well that you know, the company would then, you know, they would have the ability to come after me if they wanted to. They chose not to, and I think that was sensible on their part. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have looked good. But nonetheless, you know, people were, I think certainly colleagues and, and friends were like, you know, it was a brave thing to do, I suppose it was, but it just felt right because it was such a big discussion. And it's still a big discussion is whether it's, maternity discrimination or bullying and harassment particularly women in the workplace are still being discriminated discriminated against routinely lgbt people and often having to sign non-disclosure agreements which is not what they were designed for you know they were designed yeah. to protect patents and sort of privileged information rather than people being bullied so yeah. you know i think again it's 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 important to use your platform but that it does also require a lot of energy and yes you know you have to look after yourself or you won't have enough to give of yourself for ultimately for your constituents who and and I like to think speaking up on these issues help my constituents and folk more broadly but but first and foremost I am elected by the you know the good people of the Livingston constituency and I have a job to do for them and I have to make sure that I protect myself um, and give myself and my team the right support to make sure that we can do the very best that we can for them. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, you continue to do that. And recently you've been active in the media with your support for banning the conversion therapy. Yes. And also, importantly, that it's inclusive of trans people. Absolutely. So sort of digging into that a bit, I was looking at it. Government research says that 7% of LGBT people have been offered or undergone some kind of conversion therapy with people being targeted in medical, psychiatric, psychological, religious and cultural settings. What are your views yes. on that, Hannah? I mean, I just think that there can be no caveat. Conversion therapy and abuse is abhorrent in any form. And this notion that somehow we would exclude trans people 
and that we would ex or or we would exclude certain practices because they might be helpful. I mean, it's a very, very different situation from somebody getting counselling to being encouraged to be something that they're not. And I have close friends and good friends who have been through this practice. And, you know, you only need to read, you know, like Sir Vicky Beeching's book about her experiences to realise in a religious setting how horrific they are, but also that the UK government would exclude one one part of our community a crucial part of our community the trans community is just for me is sickening and i will continue to do everything i can as a as a parliamentarian to stand up to that and you know we have some and i think you know they are probably somewhat limited powers in scotland but i know that you know evidence has been taken in the scottish parliament and my colleagues in the scottish parliament are very determined to do everything they can and so you know i have a hope that we will be able to you know, both reform the Gender Recognition Act in Scotland and look at bans on conversion therapy. And that may encourage other governments, particularly the UK government, to take action on this because it just feels to me like certain politicians, Liz Truss, you know, and, and others, Sajid Javid, who were happy to accept awards and champion LGBT rights when it suited their agenda, have now done an about turn and it's not good enough. You know, it really isn't good enough. So we have to stay on that on that course because you know, studies also find that the vast majority of people across the UK and beyond are supportive of, of, of trans rights and of broader LGBT rights and of banning conversion therapy. And all the countries around the world that have brought in bans and also reforms for the Gender Recognition Act for trans people. And that's just about documentation and also about a humane process. Yes. You know, the sky has not fallen in. These are normal most of them relatively small, but, you know, independent countries. And, you know, society has has not rejected it. It's, it's accepted it. And there are, there are no huge issues. So it, it proves the point, but it also proves that we, we still have a long way to go in the UK, across the UK and, and, and in all of the nations of the UK. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to your earlier point of why we are still standing up and talking about it and using these platforms and using these ways to have conversations because it hasn't gone away and people are still being persecuted. Yeah. And, and equality is not is far from there, frankly. Exactly. Exactly. So you are Scottish and you are a campaigner for Scottish independence. Why do you feel this is important for Scotland? For reasons that we have just discussed. So yeah. fundamentally, we do not have power over all aspects of our future and of our laws and of the issues that are of concern to our constituents and the people of Scotland. So we only have, for example, 15% of welfare powers. So we're seeing a cost of living crisis. We don't have any power over energy policy. So we, we are in the very strange and unique position. I think we produce twice as much renewable energy to heat all of the homes in Scotland. Yeah. Yet we are seeing a near 100% increase in energy bills in Scotland, far and above most parts of of the uk and that's just utterly ridiculous to me you know it's like if you were running a business you wouldn't give away a whole bunch of powers and let somebody else run it really badly and consistently be like you know but but the small bit that you have power over is 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 being run you know i think objectively pretty well we've just won our 11th election in scotland uh, the SNP. Scotland invented the modern world. We are more than capable of looking after ourselves and managing our own affairs, whether that's financial, whether that's, you know, re regarding, you know, the economy, regarding energy, regarding welfare. And we've shown consistently with the powers that we have that we, we look after our own folk, you know, and 
we hope and I very much believe that Scottish independence will be a good thing for the rest of the UK. It will be a really good thing, particularly for England that doesn't actually have devolution. England are beholden to the terrible system of government at Westminster. And Westminster doesn't serve anybody but Westminster. I can tell you that because I've been there for seven years. And I feel heart sorry for folk, particularly in parts of England that are really struggling because they don't have the safety net of devolution that we do. We have things in Scotland like free prescriptions, free yeah. personal care for the elderly that are over 65, you know, uh, no tuition fees for students. You know, that's just, you know, a, a, a child payment um, that supports families in poverty and uh, free childcare for children above the age of three. Now, we would like to extend those things. We would like to make them better. But when you only have limited power and you only have a set budget, so we yeah. don't have the powers to borrow that the UK government does, you know, you are, you're doing your job on one hand tied behind your back, essentially. And it's also, I think, when people know and feel that decisions are made more you know closely to them and in their community and they know and feel in touch with their politicians they're more engaged and so services are better decision making is better i think the longer the nonsense goes on at westminster the more disengaged people are becoming and that's really dangerous because that's when governments just do whatever they want and we have a very highly engaged switched on population in scotland they know what's happening they lobby us they're in touch yeah. with us as politicians and i just know a lot of people you know in other parts of the uk that it's very different because they just feel lost. They feel like stuff's being done to them and there's nothing that they can do about it. And that's that just makes me very sad. I want the very best for England, Wales, for Northern Ireland, because I think they're being really poorly served, as is Scotland, by the current UK government, but also just the constitutional and, you know, just the institution of Westminster. It's it's not a good, it's not a good setup. No, I, I, yeah, it's interesting to hear your, your, your feedback there. And so if you think about that last 10 years, I think you said seven years in Parliament, but if you sort of think about that last 10 years or so and your personal involvement in politics, what would you say have been the biggest achievements that, that you've witnessed and what, are, what challenges are yet to come? I mean, there's a lot there, but, you know, what are the key things for you? Do, do you mean in, from a Scottish government sense or just generally in, in politics? I think... I'm interested from the LGBT angle, but, you know, just as a citizen, you know, as a, an LGBT citizen across all the, all the countries. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the tough thing, particularly in relation to LGBT rights, is we've seen, you know, one step forward, two steps back a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, so I think people thought when equal marriage happened, you know, both in Scotland and, and in other parts of the UK, that about, you know, that was a kind of job done sort of thing. And I think yeah. the general public probably thought that as well. But actually, there's a long way to go still in terms of fertility rights, for example. So in Scotland, we have much better rights and they are, you know, universal than folk in England and across the rest of the UK. And seeing campaigners you know, raise their voices and these issues being raised in Parliament, really, really good and really important. I think it's been great to see uh, civil partnerships for heterosexual couples as well, because yeah. actually, you know, equal marriage is about literally that, everybody having the same rights and access. And marriage has certain connotations for people, I think, particularly in heterosexual relationships in that community than it does in, in our community. And, and you know, th those things are um, important to note. And I think seeing some of the religious organisations as well start to make changes, not anything like as quickly as we would like, 
but be more open to the LGBT community because I think that's really important for lots of people, less so for myself, but for lots of people, religion is a really important part of their life. And I think, you know, fundamentally religious communities and groups should be accepting all people from, from, from all communities and all parts of society. And, and I, I think that's something that needs to, you know, continue to, to move forward. But I, and I think more generally, I mean, we've done so much in Scotland. I mean, some of the things that I've, I've mentioned there, but since we came to power in 2007, we really have, have tried to push forward, you know, equ the equality agenda. So, for example, parity, uh, gender parity on, on public boards. So trying to get more equality into the boardroom, for example. Yeah. And with that comes other aspects of equality, more people from black and minority ethnic communities, more people from LGBT communities. I mean, to be fair, we are still woefully lacking in both of those areas, you know, across the UK and, and indeed in Scotland in terms of having representation, but it is getting better. And, you know, putting positive mechanisms in place and also in terms of elections you know we have gone with where we've had retiring in you know parliamentarians all women shortlists having you know quotas and mechanisms to get more people from black and minority ethnic community backgrounds you know and seeing those people getting elected particularly the last council election has been fantastic but we still have a really long way to go so you know I think my sense is that Things tend to move a bit more quickly in smaller parliaments or jurisdictions. So often, particularly at Westminster, things seem to move at such a glacial pace. It's just, <laughs> God, get on with it, you know. Um, and there's been a lot of real disasters, you know, Brexit, I think, particularly so much time and energy sucked up with something that's been such a terrible idea. You know, one can only hope that in the longer term, people will realise what they've lost and that I hope Scotland will be an independent nation soon and rejoin the European Union and that people in the rest of the UK will, will realise, you know, the opportunity and, and want to do the same. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but it just feels like a going backwards on on, on so many fronts in, in that regard. And, and that's really scary. And it makes it more important than ever that, you know, we have diversity in politics, that we have different voices on the front line and that we have more people getting involved in politics. And I know it's a time when people are getting turned off by it. And I do get that. And I understand why yeah. when you've got somebody like Boris Johnson in power, it's very, very difficult to find the positives, but they're there and we need to fight for them. That's what I would say. Well, it sounds like you're very impatient for change and rightly so. Um, so what are you working on at the moment then? What are you, what are you working on to change at the moment? So there's a couple of kind of key areas that I've been, I suppose, working on, you know, really since I got elected. I mean, more equality in sport, more opportunities, particularly in sport for, for women in the LGBT community. Just generally on, on LGBTQ rights, we have a, a global um, all-party group on LGBT rights, and we're about to elect um, new co-chairs for that for the first time. We're going to have co-chairs, so I might be putting myself forward for that. Brilliant. And an area that I've done quite a lot of work on is on consular rights, um, deaths abroad, because I've had a couple of constituents, more than a couple, several constituents who've died abroad in suspicious circumstances or been killed and had very little support from foreign office. So that's something that we set up an all-party group on in 2016 and have been working on. And we've had seen some positive changes, funding for victims of crime, better support, uh, but there's a long way to go in, in that regard as well. So that's that's just some of the some of the issues. And then and then locally, 
on on jobs and opportunities so we just helped save a vaccine company i helped campaign to get 20 million pounds to save a company that the uk government was going to shut down called valneva and that has saved that company in hundreds of jobs Amazing. and yeah and and making sure that there are opportunities um for people for good employment um in in my local area uh, in west Lothian is and, and making sure that you know we've we've just elected a council in our council group uh, there are 15 councillors and there are 10 women and five men. So we've, for the first time ever, you know, more women in that group than men. And that's really incredible. And all Fantastic. of them hugely deserving. A few missed out. But yes, that's just that's just a small flavour of... <laughs> well, it's a really tough question because you're just dealing with so much every day. Yeah. I think, you know, the fundamental thing that I love about my job is, is, is casework. And you can't talk about it because so much of it's confidential. But we, yeah. you know, on a daily basis are supporting many many people getting hundreds of emails a day of people looking for help passports you know welfare issues housing you know you name it we we deal with it and just making sure that we are doing as much as we can to support people that are in need wow what about on a personal basis have you got any adventures planned after your surfing and skiing adventures (laughs) <laughs> I've got knee surgery at some point probably later <laughs> in the summer and I'm hoping that I'll be able to get back to to some kind of normality and I was in Tunisia a little while ago working with the Westminster Foundation for Democracy which does a lot of work on building capacity for uh, women to get elected and to just work in sort of public or, and government organisations and so we had an amazing session there and that's work that I really look forward to continuing. Um, I don't know if I'll be going anywhere else this year, but hopefully next year now that things have started to open up again, um, working with women in parts of the world. And it was a really interesting experience because I was open about my sexuality and obviously in Tunisia, it's still illegal to be gay. So it ruffled a few feathers, but I worked with a translator who herself identified as being queer and translated what I was saying very carefully and I had a lot of really interesting conversations and I went and met with a local LGBT group as well. And it was amazing because they had all of, you know, loads of Val McDermott books on their on their yeah. um, on their shelves. And yeah, so so projects like that and doing more work on global LGBT rights is something that I really want to make sure I, you know, I make a focus as well. Fantastic. Hannah, thank you for daring to be different and changing the game for women, LGBT people and Scottish people. My final question for you today is what would your strap line or hashtag be that captures your amazing energy? Oh God, I feel like that's a really cringy question, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a good one as well. It's just one I, I, um, I don't know. I like to have a go. <laughs> so you'll have a go at most things? I'll have a go at most things, yeah. Including, including Boris Johnson and <laughs> <laughs> definitely government. <laughs> Yes, I saw the video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's probably that's probably the best one I can come up with. Brilliant, Hannah Bardell. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's absolutely fascinating to catch up with Hannah Bardell today, who is at the front line of politics and actively daring to be different and making change happen on a daily basis. I continue to watch Hannah and her campaigns as she progresses in her career. She's an absolute powerhouse and a massive inspiration to me. Thank you, Hannah, for daring to be different.